Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Recycle and win cash. That could come in handy. Concert tickets, maybe even. How about a Michael Jackson satin tour jacket? That could be hazardous to your health. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. Hello. Welcome back if you've been here before. If not, if this is your first time, thank you for joining us. I'm Uncle Greg. We have our PhD of music, Brett Vargo, and we have Ambassador Bueno. Oh, what's up, guys? Not much. What's up, Bueno? What's up, man? How's Nelly doing today? Nelly. I don't in know. St. Louis. I think he lives in L.A. now. Oh, does he? Yeah, he lives in L.A. With I've I, told you guys, I have this impression that everybody in St. Louis knows Nelly. Well, we know Nelly, not personally, but his music. No, personally. Oh, yeah, no. No, he usually doesn't come out and play often, I don't think. You could probably take him on the court. <laughs> no problem. Well, this week, our list, we're going to look at the top five artists between 1974 and 1979. And I was saying this earlier to the guys, but this was the time period of my life where C is for Cookie is good enough for me was the big hit song and i really was not into really music until the who the squeeze box is the song i played over and over and then in 1979 my brother brought home the cars debut album and that's the music that i played cover to cover i flipped it back over and so all this kind of stuff is new to me i had to go back and look at different songs but i think i picked some pretty influential artists that are going to be on my top five list this week yeah me too i think i actually have two uh, first time albums in my top five that's very cool. Well, you guys know how I like to put my uh, self-imposed restrictions on myself. Really? So like when we did the best. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a certain OCD, I'm sure. But, <laughs> you know, we did the best artists of 1990 to 94. And I had this thing where I was very rigid. That artist had to be active during that entire time span and have at least three albums. So I did actually the same thing for this one. And it was a heck of a lot tougher. I'm sure. Heck yeah, it was. So that means that I had no Elvis, no Jam, no Clash, no Buzzcocks, no Ramones. Oh, oh. So I was forced to come up with people that, you know, weren't my usual suspects, right? I think there's going to be some unusual choices, except for what I am already calling to be the first triple crossover. We'll see. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I bet we know who that is. I know that's going to be happening. All right. Yes. Okay, well, let's start off with the list. My number five of the top artists between 1974 and 1979. He started out as the guitarist, singer, and principal songwriter for the Velvet Underground. And his solo career spanned five decades, of course. Most of us know I'm talking about Lou Reed. Now, between 1974 and 1979, he released 10 albums. There was uh, the live rock and roll animal, and then Sally Can't Dance, Lou Reed Live, Metal Machine, uh, and that was Metal Machine. That that was a weird album. Yeah. Uh, Coney Island, Baby, then Rock and Roll Heart. Uh, the best of Lou Reed album came out in 77, 78 Street, Castle, and then in 79, The Bells came out. And me, you know that I thought I lucked out. And now look at the trouble that I'm in. You know, you better. 
Japanese girl. You know, Lou Reed didn't have a lot of huge success. His most successful album came out in 74 with the, the Sally Can't Dance. Don't you know they're gonna kill your sons? Don't you know they're gonna kill, kill your sons? Uh, but he influenced so many people like David Bowie, U2, Weezer. Wasn't Matilda without a wallet? A sexy boy smiled in dismay. She took out four twenties cause she liked round figures. Everybody's queen for a day. And he pushed boundaries. He had those gritty lyrics. So I definitely had to put him on my list of my top artists between 74 and 79. I'm hijacking that, that list. <laughs> so at number five, Lou Reed for me this week. Nice. Nice. Great. Nice one. I think the entire uh, musical bed under your spiel is going to be metal machine music. That's I fine. Think, I think so, too. Because, you see, he, he said he invented heavy metal, and that was going to be the conclusion to heavy metal. Of course, a lot of people say heavy metal was invented by Black Sabbath in 1970, and that's where most people go to. But Lou Reed, he was very high at this time. Uh, and maybe that's why he made that album. But, yeah. you know, he put it out there. And again, he pushed boundaries. He did a lot of different things. The guy is just iconic. Hey, lads, I'm kind of being held hostage right now. So, Uncle Greg, when we took our two trips over to 2021, yes. um, we actually had somebody on the flight with us. Yeah, I'm right here. You just quit messing around with us and you keep listening to us here at O3L. You see what I'm saying? He's all over me, man. Sounds like so. some sort of gorilla. Yeah, that is a gorilla, man. I mean, he's he's like bugging the heck out of me. Every time he comes out, and he only comes out during the show. The other wow. 20 the only the other 23 hours he's snoozing. So, and then you uh, put your gorilla away? <laughs> no, he puts himself away. Well, let's get into my my number 5 here and that's a uh, Super Tramp. Uh, one of the biggest progressive rock bands of the 70s and thanks in large part to their pop smash uh, Breakfast in America record, but I totally disagree because I feel it started with Crime of the Century, and that was their third studio album, uh, released on September 13th, 1974 on A&M Records, and they had that commercial breakthrough in the U.S. and the U.K., you know, aided by that hit Dreamer. You guys know that one, and Bloody Well, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know you guys yes. don't, not into the progressive like I am, but uh, Bloody Well, right was a great song, but my favorite, actually, is School. I can see you in the morning when you go to school don't forget your books you know you gotta learn the gold and uh, this this album actually received a critical acclaim included in one of the 50 greatest progressive rock albums of all time and actually super tramp's first u.s top 40 album that eventually certified gold in 1977 then they came out with another record after that and that was a uh, crime of the century and uh, that one actually came out in march 75 and that actually peaked at number four and had quite a few uh singles i think three singles on that album too and then uh, they came out with crisis what crisis and that was the fourth album uh and that was released on September 14th of 1975. It was recorded in Los Angeles and in London, and actually that was Supertramp's first album to have recording done in the United States. Record Mirror included Crisis What Crisis on its year-end list in 1975, recognizing it as the best album of the year. Having achieved commercial success with Crime of the Century, the pressure was on for Supertramp to deliver a follow-up, and after touring the West Coast, Supertramp unintentionally gained some extra time. Hodgson actually injured his hand, forcing the band to cancel the rest of the tour 
and leaving them with nothing better to do than work on that record. So bassist Doogie Thompson occurred. We thought that Crisis album was a little disjointed and the band at the time really didn't like the record. But as of today, Hodgson calls it his favorite record. So then they came out with a fifth album, even in the quietest moments. So give a little bit. That was April 10th, 1977, reached number 16 on the Billboard's top album chart and actually became Supertramp's first gold, 500,000 copies or more selling albums in the United States. And you guys all remember Give a Little Bit. That was a top 20 single. Pretty good stuff there. And actually, um, world critic lists, uh, they recognize that uh, album is number 63 of the greatest 200 records uh, voted by uh, rock DJs and rock critics. So uh, their sixth studio album came out, Breakfast in America, and took them to another, another level. That came out March 29th, 79. Four singles came off there. Logical Song, Goodbye Stranger, Take the Long Way Home, and Breakfast of America. Won two Grammys back in 1980. Uh, it's actually sold more than four million copies. And number one on the Billboard charts for six weeks. Uh, number one in Norway, Austria, Spain, Canada, Australia, and France. And as of the 1990s, it has sold over 18 million copies worldwide. In closing, you know, Supertramp had a really cool run between 74 and 79 with sales of over 20 million units. That is my number five for the top five artists from 1974 to 1979, Supertramp. And thanks to my neighbors down the street growing up. Uh, hey, Double R for getting me into Genesis, Gentle Giant, Nectar, Peter Hamill, and of course, my number five, Supertramp. Good pick. That was a long one. Learn more about Supertramp in the last couple minutes than I ever had. Never knew, huh? Hey, didn't wow. they cover a Goo Goo Dolls song? Give a little bit. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, they did. They did that one. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember that. I remember the album cover. The More album covers were awesome. Yes. They were incredible. Yes. All of them. Crisis, what crisis? I think the guy's sitting there in a lounge chair and everything that's going on around him, the whole world's coming apart around him. I imagine that that has to be said in Rodney Dangerfield's voice. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe. All right, Brett, kicking off your list. Number five. All right. Well, speaking of Super Tramp, uh, here is somebody else that plays music. My number five actually even surprised me. It is Daryl Hall. Oh, yes. of course. Many know him as the mega selling big haired blonde MTV goofball and purveyor of some of the 80s most memorable and occasionally cheesy pop gloss, along, of course, with his musical partner in crime, the big stash himself, John Oates. But let's hit the years between 1974 and 1979, when Daryl Hall struck the perfect balance between being one of the era's greatest blue-eyed soul singers and a pop eccentric. At the start of the 03L era, Hall & Oates was a duo with two failed albums and an identity crisis. The lads wanted to sing soul music and their label tried to position them as folksy singer-songwriters. Their 1974 album, War Babies, is weirdly brilliant. Produced and featuring Todd Rundgren, it's a concept album that features a bizarre mix 
of Philly soul, psychedelic hard rock, and synthesizer experimentation. It, of course, as you could guess, was a flop, but you absolutely have to hear it. It is my favorite. The duo remained prolific throughout the rest of the 70s with five more albums of consistent quality, furthering their blend of soul, pop, and rock and they started amassing their legendary run of pop hits that would continue into the early 90s with tracks like Sarah Smile, the re-release of their 1973 single She's Gone, Rich Girl, It's a Laugh, and Wait For Me, all of which hit the U.S. Top 20. And me forever, Sarah But wait, there's more. And the reason why I chose Daryl Hall as an individual as opposed to the duo. Hall recorded some absolutely incredible cutting edge avant pop music with King Crimson guitarist and producer Robert Fripp, which is a name that you will hear throughout this episode, I guarantee. There was a full solo album, Sacred Songs, that was recorded in 1977, but shelved until 1980. That's another one of those albums in the you gotta hear it to believe it category it's a pop album but it's far from commercial and basks in its own weirdness hall was also originally recorded as the main vocalist on fripp's amazing exposure album and those two albums sacred songs and exposure actually intended as a trilogy of sorts along with peter gabriel's second album as released in 1979 exposure only contained a couple of hall's vocals after Hall's management and label feared that appearing on such an out-there project would ruin his career, but thankfully his vocals were restored on subsequent reissues of the record. How can one of the most successful singers of all time also be one of the most underrated? When your name is Daryl Hall, that's when, and that's my number five. Yeah, that's incredible that he actually crossed over into the genre that I just talked about. Yeah. Pretty cool. I think some of the most incredible things that he's done, I remember Palladium. I think it's called something Mm -hmm. else now, but you would have at his ranch house. He would have all these different artists come over. They still have it. That was the coolest thing. Yeah, Yeah, that was a great show. Aren't they still doing that show? I think he still does it online. Yeah. Okay. I got to check it out online then because I was always so impressed with the talent and how they can all get together. And it's like, these guys must have been around forever because how tight they are playing these oh, songs. Yeah. It's just amazing, amazing. Sheer. I saw Hall Notes for the first time uh, a couple years ago with Tears for Fears. What a great oh, show. Oh, what a great show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not a bad pick. Brett, that was a good pick. I don't think yeah, there's anything was. weird about it. All right. No all right. weird there. Back to you. <laughs> Back to me. Okay, so number four this week for me on the top artists between 1974 and 1979. It's a band that's credited as an American pioneer of pop, punk, and new wave. Their first two albums, a lot of success in the UK and Australia. One was self-titled. The other one was named Plastic Letters. But in 1978, with the release of Parallel Lines, it brought them from the underground to the main stage. I know Bueno knows who I'm talking about. It's Blondie. Oh, yes. Something in my consciousness told me you'd appear. Now I'm always touched by your presence They were on quite a roll in the late 70s. They released the songs Heart of Glass, Sunday Girl, One Way or Another. Picture this. In 1979, Eat to the Beat dropped Union City Blues Dreaming. I'm in the phone booth. It's the one across the hall. Yeah. 
success in the late 70s rolled over into the 80s when they released the Titus High Rapture Call Me. They were a great band mixing pop, disco, reggae, and even rap with Rapture. But Blondie influenced so many people who we love, like Duran Duran, Berlin, No Doubt, The Go-Go's, Bananarama, Concrete Blonde, The Vinyls, Romeo Void. In the 90s, Ace of Bass, Elastica, Garbage. And in recent times, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Lady Gaga, Smashing Pumpkins, and Madonna. So Blondie, been around for a long time, great band, very influential. And they brought, you know, fashion, and they brought music, and they brought those lyrics that sounded like a threat, all wrapped in a kiss. So that's why Blondie, number four this week for me on our top artist between 74 and 79. And love it. Yeah. They came so close. I had them on my list, and then I decided that it might be cheating based on my own restrictions. Yeah, because your criteria. Well, Debbie Harry, you know, I mean, she started her recording career in the late 60s. So I figured she'd probably make it. But she could. But with Blondie, the first one was in 76. 76, yeah. Yeah. All right, Bueno, you're up. I'm up? Yes. Oh, hey, Gorilla, you're up. Oh, I didn't. Th- I lost count there for a second. I was freaking out there for a second with Blondie. Why? Do tell. Well, here's my number four. We'll, we'll come back to Blondie. So my number four, uh, this guy released an amazing six studio albums plus two live albums and 24 singles released during the 74 to 79 time frame. Wow. Sounds like uh, he lived in the studios 24-7. So let's get started with his number one 74 release, uh, May 24th, Diamond Dogs. If you all don't know who I'm talking about, so I'll just keep going. But uh, I think it's Bowie. Um, His eighth studio album produced by Bowie himself recorded in early 74. It was the first album since 1970 not to feature help from his uh, band of Spiders from Mars with Mick Bronson, Trevor Boulder, and Mick Woodmansey. Uh, the album was Bowie's final album in the glam rock genre. You got your mother in a world Cause she's not sure if you're a boy or a girl Hey babe, your hair's alright Hey babe Of course, led by that Rebel Rebel single. We all know that one peaked at number one. I love Sweet Thing and Big Brother are, are my faves away from the major hits on this record. And then he released another record. Not too long after that. On March 7th, 1975, we all know Young Americans, his ninth studio album. This album was very, very successful in the United States, reaching the top 10 in the Billboard charts. Fame, of course, hitting number one. Top to bottom, this is a great record. I mean, Young Americans win. Fascination, right. Somebody up there across the universe, can you hear me? Fame with Bowie, Carlos Alomar, and John Lennon, of course. Part three of his uh, albums, the Station the Station, that's his 10th studio album, uh, released January 23rd, 1976. As you see, he lived in the studios for so far those first three years. Commonly known as his most significant work, this actually was recorded after he completed uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Cover work also from that, still from that film. Bowie was really heavily dependent on drugs, especially cocaine, later claimed that he definitely didn't recall anything of the production of that record. Six songs on the record, and Bowie released five singles, Station to Station, Golden Years, Word on a, a Wing, non-single, uh, TVC 1-5, Stay, and Wild is the Wind. 
So the next record came out on January 14th, 1977, Low. And uh, this record here, I mean, people just didn't like this record, but actually is one of his greatest. The album Low had to grow on people. At the time, it was just too I, weird. That was all his It was really experience. weird, but yeah. when, yeah, when but you first great. heard it, though, you're like, that's Bowie. And then you put it back on again, and you're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. So, I mean, that followed his movement to West Berlin after a period of drug addiction and personal instability. Lowe was the first of three collaborations with Brian Eno, so that's why we heard the weirdness of the, the music on this record. And Lowe had been considered ahead of his time and been widely acclaimed as one of Bowie's best and most influential works. Appears on many numerous lists of best albums of all time. Pitchfork, Q... And then he decided to break away from that type of music and then uh, started Heroes, which was actually released on October 14, 77. And we know we just talked about Robert Fripp. He actually worked with Bowie on this record and uh, incredible pieces of work. This record was a, definitely a commercial success. Number three in the UK and stayed there for uh, 26 weeks. And John Lennon said about that record, if he could do a record as good as, as Heroes, that would be something amazing. And definitely influenced him on his double fantasy record. And then his last record, May 25th in 1979, Lodger, 13th studio album and third of the final uh, release of the Berlin Trilogy. Again, working with Eno, this album was not by Bowie's standards a major commercial success. It was good. I mean, you really, this is another one that I feel that had to really grow on you and stuff. But uh, that is my number four of the top five artists from 1974 to 1979, David Bowie. Huh. Great pick. I'm glad that one of us thought of Bowie. He may come back up again. I think some That's of good. us thought of Bowie. Good. All right, Brett. Okay. Well, speaking of David Bowie, my number four artist is Nick Lowe. <laughs> At the beginning of our time period, Nick was the bassist and one of the singer-songwriters in the British country rock pub band Brinsley Schwartz, of course named after their guitarist and future member of Graham Parker's backing band, The Rumor. Brinsley Schwartz, the band, was just starting to run out of steam releasing what would be their final album, The New Favorites of Brinsley Schwartz, in the summer of 1974. Always a clever lyricist, the album would contain a couple of Lowe's most enduring songs in The Ugly Things and What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. Of course, both of those songs were later covered by the one, the only Elvis Costello, and the latter continues to resonate even and especially now. After the demise of the Brinsleys, Lowe teamed up in the uh, collective Rockpile with Dave Edmonds, who had produced the new Favorites album. Rockpile essentially became the band for much of Edmonds' four albums during that time, as well as Mickey Jupp's album Japanese, clever title, Lowe's two solo albums, Jesus of Cool from 1978 and Labor of Lust in 1979, and his humorously titled EP Bowie, without an E at the end, of course, to repay Bowie for the favor of naming his 1977 Lowe without an E those guys, I tell ya. <laughs> I love the sound of breaking glass Especially when I'm lonely I need to 
Those two low full lengths are brilliant beyond belief, as musically varied as the images on the Jesus of Cool album cover of Low playing various characters would suggest and features his unique brand of tongue-in-cheek songwriting. Labor of Lust, of course, contains his best-known international hit, which was a Brinsley Schwartz leftover called Cruel to be Kind. Cruel to be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be kind, it's a very good sign. Cruel to be kind means that I love you, baby. Oh yeah, and if that doesn't sound prolific enough for you, there's also Lowe's production work, some of the most legendary of the punk and new wave era. During this period, he produced Elvis Costello's first three albums, of course, a couple of Graham Parker's records, the damn seminal debut, Dr. Feelgood, Reckless Eric, the aforementioned Mickey Jupp, and the first Pretender single. Wow, that's a busy dude. So, ladies and gentlemen, one of the hardest working men in show business, Mr. Nick Lowe, my number four. He's incredible, man. He's worked he with everybody. Incredible. Still Every- incredible. Uh, yeah. And you have to be cruel to be kind. He just, he just came out with a record. He did. He came out with, I think it might be like an EP with most straight jackets. I saw them live at the uh, Belly Up Tavern in San Diego at a Christmas show, and it was so much fun. I'd love to see Nick Lowe in concert with Squeeze Elvis Costello. That would be an amazing right. show. And, and even Dave Edmonds, for sure. Let's put that in their suggestion box. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on our 20th episode of the Only Three Lads podcast. 20? Nothing without you, so thank you. We're glad that you're here. 20? 20. We're 40% through our list. We still have our third, second, and number one artist from 1974 to 1999. Excuse me, 1974 to 1979. I'm sorry, what? Say that again. 1974 to Uh 1979. So 20, guys. You realize that? That's crazy. That's, uh, what is that in wedding years? wood this could be our wood episode <laughs> hey you so. keep your wood off this podcast <laughs> son i say i say i say son <laughs> keep bueno's gorilla in its house <laughs> watch out he's coming out after you we'll be back in two and two <laughs> only three lads wow we are so amazed and honored at the outpouring of comments and lists coming in from past episodes Our newest listener, Paige Rockwell, well, at least our newest listener who will admit it, was not album-specific, but told us her top 80s punk albums would include X, TSOL, Suburban Lawns, Ramones, and Susie. See, now I want to revise my list and put Suburban Lawns on there. Great pick. Keep them coming. Now back to the show. Mel, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and extend to you a heartfelt message for the new year. (laughs) Kiss my grits! Welcome back. Thank you for sticking around on the 20th episode of the Only Three Lads podcast. I'm Uncle Greg. We have the PhD, Brett Vargo, and we have Ambassador Bueno and his gorilla. I got my gorilla glue. Stick to us. <laughs> Who's coming up with the list this week? Is it the gorilla or Bueno? Right now, I feel it's the gorilla. Yeah, you better watch out. And our list this week, of course, the top five artists between 1974 and 1979. 79. And we're at yes, number three right now. I got it right 79. that time. I was 20. I was... Eight or nine. I was a babe. This episode covers from the time of my birth till uh, when I was five. So you're watching Sesame Street, or was it Electric Company? I was an Electric Company both, guy. Really both. Really both, both. Both. Fantastic. And Mr. Yeah. Rogers. I oh, I was into like Mr. Ed and Bewitched and I don't know, whatever. Just All classics. Kooky, kooky shows back then. Welcome didn't back, matter. Cotter. Yeah, didn't matter. What? Where? Alice. Oh, yeah. Alice. Yeah, didn't really matter Stop back then. Blow. Yeah. Kiss my 
agree. <laughs> All right. Well, number three on my list this week. <laughs> He's called the godfather of punk, and he's done it all. Garage rock, punk rock, hard rock, heavy metal, art rock, new wave, jazz, blues, electronica, of course, talking about Iggy Pop. Now, during the time frame between 1974 and 1979, Iggy and David Bowie, they wrote and produced The Idiot and Lust for Life. Also live together as they kick their drug habits. Uh, you know, the, the songs uh, came out of this. Sister Midnight, China Girl, which was a bigger hit for Bowie in 83. Lust for Life, The Passenger, which is, I think, my favorite Iggy Pop song. I am the passenger. In 1978, he came out with TV I Live. And then in 1979, the album called New Values came out, which Frank Black of the Pixie said at one time was his favorite album of all time. I'm bored. I'm the chairman of the board. I'm a lengthy monologue. I'm living like a dog. Now, the guy has gone from underground poster boy to a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammys. His legacy is built in this time period from 1974 to 1979. And he's my number three artist between that time frame, Iggy Pop, here on the Only Three Lads podcast. Awesome. That's an infallible choice. That was my number six. Kiss my grits, Iggy Pop. Gotcha, Iggy. Okay, so we're at our number threes, right, guys? Yes, sir. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I keep losing count. Sorry, Al. Get away from me, Gorilla. Three albums, seven singles, cult favorites, perhaps of the quintessential art rock band who transitioned from a hard edge glam to sophisticated rock. Their first album, Country Life, the fourth album by English rock band Roxy Music, released on November 15th, 1974, reached number three in the UK charts, also made number 37 in the United States. Their first record to crack the top 40. What a joke, man. Come on, people. Top to bottom country life three singles out of there out of the blue all i want is you the thrill of it all considered to be one of the band's most sophisticated consistent records Then they dropped the fifth album, uh, released October 24th, 1975. That's Siren. You guys know that record, huh? Mm -hmm. Number 371 on the Rolling Stones magazine 2003 list of the top 500 greatest albums of all time. Siren's title is inappropriate. It has that sort of effect on our listeners, calling the listeners back to a virtue of finely honed instrumental attack and compelling lyrical Attitude, Rob Shelfield, 2004, Rolling Stone, referred to Siren as the first Roxy Music album without any failed moments. That's pretty cool. Two singles, uh, Love is a Drug and Both Ends Burning. It's a masterpiece and needs to be listened straight through nonstop for 42 minutes and 30 seconds of pure joy. 
Manifesto, their sixth studio album. This one came out on March 16, 1979, following almost a four-year uh, recording hiatus. My gosh, the first single that came out of that was Trash. And it wasn't that bad? It was really good, man. Yeah, <laughs> but it barely made it, though. But the second single, oh yeah, Dance Away. Peaked at number two, beaten by number one for three weeks from May 26th of 1979 by Blondie's Sunday Girl. That's my number three of the top five artists from 1974 to 1979. Roxy Music. Great pick. Great pick. The only thing that kept him off my list was that hiatus in between. I know, but Love is a Drug and Dance Away. Come on, guys. Oh, no doubt. I mean, and and it's not even that. It's just so many great songs on their records. Brian Ferry had some good solo stuff in there, too. Oh, it was incredible solo stuff. And I wasn't even going to bring that up. I just, I wasn't going to cross over with that. All right. Well, speaking of Roxy music. Are you just like following me on every single one so far? (laughs) Actually, it is pretty amazing how our lists and the names that we keep bringing up intertwine. So there is a Roxy music connection to my number three. My number three artist is both directly and indirectly one of the most influential, compelling, challenging, and pivotal figures in alternative music, and that is Brian Eno. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) He started his career, of course, as the keyboardist in Roxy Music, playing on their first two albums before splitting in 1973, so that slightly predates the beginning of the period we're covering today. Between the six-year span of our topic, though, Eno released no less than four nearly flawless albums that mix glam, pop, rock, electronic, and avant-garde music. Here Come the Warm Jets and Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, both amazingly from 1974, Another Green World in 1975, and Before and After Science in 1977. This was music that pushed the needle further in every single way and boasts a legendary cast of characters, including members of Roxy Music, Can, Cluster, Fairport Convention, Robert Wyatt from Soft Machine, Phil Collins, John Cale, and very crucially, another mention we will make of Robert Fripp. Where the bones were white as teeth, and we saw St. Elmo's fire splitting ions in the this time, Eno also pioneered and named, even, the entire genre of ambient music, with about half a dozen groundbreaking instrumental albums, both recorded solo and in collaboration with the likes of Fripp, Cluster, and Harold Budd. I haven't heard, actually, a lot of these, as ambient music isn't really my bag, but I do recognize the immense influence. Plus, he co-created Oblique Strategies, a series of printed cards designed to give artists random sources of inspirational instruction that helped artists from Bowie to Coldplay combat creative blocks, including such insights as try faking it and ask your body. (laughs) What? You want more? Well, how about his musician production, executive production, and engineering credits on dozens of albums during this period, including, as we mentioned, Bowie's Berlin Trilogy, Ultravox's debut album, more songs about building and food and fear of music by Talking Heads, Devo's Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, and the essential No New York compilation. 
Much like Nick Lowe, Eno has an extraordinarily impressive resume and catalog, which makes him my number three choice this week. Yay. That's a great pick. He's and I would have never thought of picking him. Why not? Did a lot. He, he did. But he's not standing there with a mallet in the shadows, like waiting to hit you over the head. I swear, I think him and Bowie, I mean, they must have lived in the studios during those years. I mean, literally, yeah. did they ever go home? I bet you they didn't. I bet you they, they were on cocaine. No, they never went home. They stayed yeah. up all night. They rode their bikes around Berlin, had a great time. Oh, are you kidding? They, they were, were happy, partying and having fun. Probably you know? single. It was probably nope. awesome. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yep. No, well, but I'm doing I mean, the same with, thing out here in St. Louis. So, but, you know, just don't have but, the money that they have. St. Louis is your Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> single. And, and Nelly is your Brian Eno. Yeah, there you go. The thing you about know. Brian Eno, though, is that he was like the little name on the big check. He yeah. wasn't just the artist. He produced a lot of the music for a lot of those yeah. albums that sold yeah. millions. He's probably the richest guy on any one of our list, and he's probably the least known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smart guy. Smart. Yeah, but but we know him. If you're walking down the street and you walk past David Bowie, you'd stop David Bowie. Yeah. Aren't Brian Eno? Yeah. Brett would go, Brian Eno. And people are like, yeah. who the heck is that? Yeah. Settle down, bro. <laughs> He's probably the one with the biggest, fattest wallet. All right. Okay. Well, for my number two this week of the top artists between 1974 and 1979, this band, it formed in 1974, and they were called the first true punk band. And they didn't have a lot of mainstream success, but they should have because they influenced a lot of the bands and the artists and the music that we love here on the Only Three Lads podcast. In 1976, they had their self-titled debut album and they had us at Blitzkrieg Bop. course talking about the ramones in 1976 the ramones brought back that stripped down just speedy rock and roll everything was being overproduced at the time the prod rock which breno loves which i love too but oh. it was just with this you know it had just too much and these guys were just that garage band And then in 1977, they released Leave Home and Rocket to Russia, which brought us the song Sheena is a Punk Rocker, Rockaway Beach, and Do You Want to Dance in 1978, Road to Ruin, I Want to Be Sedated, Needles and Pins, also a rock and roll radio. So all this great music coming out from the Ramones. I want to be sedated. That they, of course, get praise from The Clash, The Damned, Black Flag, Misfits, Green Day, and, of course, all of us here at the Only Three Lads podcast. So number two this week for me, The Ramones. Yeah. Yes. Isn't there just one surviving member left? Just one. Yeah. Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. I think he does a show on... No, Marky. Uh, well, I think Mark- Tommy and yeah. Marky. Yeah. They're, they're, but Was Marky an original? No. Tommy was the original, and then he became the manager. Yeah. And that's when Marky took over. But Marky took over a long time yeah, I ago. I think only one remaining original, yeah, and then Marky. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. 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 And he's the one who does a show on uh, Sirius Radio, I think, right? Uh, Marky is, I believe. Yeah. Tommy was in the band. I don't know if he didn't want to do the touring or what, but he then became the manager of the band, and that's when Marky stepped in. But Marky was in the band for a long, long time. He wasn't some Johnny come lately. He had been there since... I would say Since probably start early 80s. Yeah, it was yeah. a long, long time. All right, so is this my number two? 
Yes, sir. Number two. Okay. Sorry, I get lost there. I kind of flip around. Plus, like, like I said, he's still bugging me right over here. My number two is an iconic American band who found a delicate balance between power pop and hard rock, influencing punk, metal, and alternative alike. Five studio albums, 10 singles. First album, 1977. Cheap Tricks. First uh, studio album. And actually, uh, I'm sorry, what? Did I say something? Huh? I didn't hear. I see it. Uh, was oh, released. Under- <laughs> That's just a gorilla. That's the gorilla in your ear. It must be the gorilla. The he's gorilla just like, oh. bless you. <laughs> yeah, he's on. Uh, he's bugging the hell out of me. He just keep going. So that that record actually was produced by Jack Douglas. Wasn't that the same Jack Douglas who produced uh, Lennon's Double Fantasy? That album didn't do too well. It actually reached number 207, and Oh Candy was the only single. So they decided to come out with uh, In Color after that in September. And this actually had a little bit more uh, pop to it, at least uh, the critics thought. So uh, it's considered a classic. Uh, In 2003, that album was ranked 443 of the top 500 greatest albums. The album made the band Superstars in Japan, where... I Want You to Want Me and Clock Strikes 10 were huge hits and five of the ten tracks on In Color were later released in live form. Of course, we know uh, Cheap Trick at Budokan. Then they went and decided to do Heaven Tonight, and that's uh, the third studio album, released April 24th, 1978. Heaven Tonight is considered their best album. By whom? They what? They say what? By whom? By many fans and critics. So, All right, it is a great album. It is a really good album. Not their best, but it's a great album. Actually, that record combined both elements to produce a hook-filled pop rock album with an attitude. Two singles, Surrender and California Man, came off of that. Heaven Tonight is also known as the first album ever recorded with a 12-string electric bass. <laughs> so that that's pretty cool. And then, of course, they came out with... Uh, Cheap trick, the live trick at Budokan. It was ranked number 426 of the top 500 greatest of all time, peaked at number four. It actually sold uh, over 3 million copies, and the first single, I Want You to Want Me, reached number seven. Triple Platinum in 1986, and then the fourth album in our time span that we are talking about was Dream Police. And I'm thinking that might be the most successful album going to number six on the Billboard. The album's title track became a top 30 hit for the band. Voices also was a hit, reached number 32. Voices has been used uh, in some soundtracks. And of course, if you guys remember How I Met Your Mother, it was used in that sitcom. Uh, four singles was released, and that's my number two top five artist from 1974 to 1979, Cheap Trick. Cool. Great band. Love them. Yes. My favorite song, She's Tight. Remember that She's video? Their first three albums, including Heaven Tonight, are pretty much flawless. I would say the first two just slightly nudge it out. So what's your favorite out of them? In Color. Okay. Followed very closely by the debut. Yeah. Great choice, yeah. Bueno. Told you I was going to be weird, a little weird today. Not weird. That was right on. Yep. Speaking of Cheap Trick, 
again. <laughs> this really has nothing to do with Cheap Trick, but okay. I'm going to make a Ramones mention. Okay, cool. But it's not the Ramones either. In stark contrast to the serious musicianship of my number three oh, choice, no, number I, two is no. all about my love of fun, melodic pop music and a band that influenced the Ramones and many power pop bands, whether they want to admit it or not. It is Scotland's own tartan-clad heartthrobs, the Bay City Rollers, <laughs> and their classic era top five lineup of Les, Woody, Allen, and Derek. You knew it. I knew it because you, you mentioned something about them, like probably episode six, and I and I I, I did. Yeah, I and, did. I I make my mention of the Rollers every once in a while. I know, and I wrote that down, thinking that you were going to call them. <laughs> Zoinks! <laughs> when we walk down the street Just because of the years, that's why. Yep, that's yep, it. That's what that's what peaked it for me. So it would take hours to capture the drama, mayhem, and mania of the rollers during this time period. So how much time you guys got? No, we got 30 another, like, 30 minutes. Okay. All right. Good, good enough. I'll, I'll skip that then. I will try to distill it as best as I can within a you know couple minutes. Okay, hurry Seven up. Seven studio albums, nine UK top 10 singles, three American top 10s, and worldwide hysteria that has not been witnessed to that degree since the Beatles. The Rollers had a career before 1974, with a history stretching back to the mid-60s in some form or another, and they had a career after 1979, although not much of one. But this period perfectly demonstrates the arc of the band's rise and fall. In 1974, after three years of toiling away releasing singles with original singer Nobby Clark, the band regrouped with new lead singer Les McCune and released their debut album Rollin', and began their ascent to the top of the UK charts. Yeah, that's what changed them right there, switching the, the singer out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so try to keep up here. Yep. In 1975, their 1974 re-recording of a failed 1973 single, got it? Yep. Saturday Night was released in the US to reach the number one spot, which kicked Roller Mania into high gear. Screaming Girls, Teen Magazine pinups, their own TV series in both the UK and the US, and of course, who could forget the Rollers' escapades with Witchy Poo from H.R. Puffin Stuff? Kiss my grits, Witchy Poo! Wouldn't you like it? Wouldn't you like it? Maybe we could be lovers. Come up and sing it. Please let me we can be lovers. So the Rollers seemingly had it all. Of course, if you ever watched a documentary on the band, you would know that what they really had was interpersonal turmoil. Check substance use, sexual abuse, and vehicular manslaughter. That sounds fun. <laughs> That's rock and right. roll. <laughs> oh, totally. What they didn't have was money, freedom, or creative control. But what they left us with was some surprisingly strong albums and truly classic pop singles. Shang Lang, Yesterday's Hero, Rock and Roll Love Letter, You Made Me Believe in Magic, and many more that strike a magical balance between glitter rock, power pop, innocent 60s teen sounds and 70s sheen, even occasionally flirting with disco. Like most teen idols, the Rollers were soon viewed as ephemeral throwaway pop fluff, and their star faded quickly around 1978, was right around the same time as that uh, witchy poo TV show. They faded away so much that I have no qualms in adding them to a list of alternative bands. Yes. Les soon left the band and was replaced by South African singer Duncan Fora from the band Rabbit, they dropped the Bay City from their name and released a great album of tougher power pop, which I mentioned in a previous episode, 
with 1979's Elevator that proves that the band could have grown very gracefully into the new wave era had the public been paying attention. But there really was nothing that could be done to resuscitate their career by that time. After a few stalled reunion attempts over the years, the surviving rollers have partaken in various splinter versions of the band, catering to a nostalgic legion mainly consisting of women now in their 50s and 60s wanting to relive their teenage fantasies. But there's at least one 40-something guy out here who unapologetically loves the Bay City Rollers. Who? This guy right here. And that's my number two, the Bay City Rollers. Brett. Weird. Love it. Oh, Brett, Mm. weird. I remember them on all my sister's little pinups. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing them all over record stores when I was going to record stores. You know, I just have to look at my walls and I can see that. You know, <laughs> Somehow, I just, Woody, to, I, I just go walk over I don't there. Doubt that. <laughs> be a, all the girls I would be there. I know, I know. Again, keep your wood off this podcast. It's yeah. the only three lads podcast. Keep your Woody We're off counting here. Counting down our top five artists between 1974 and 1979. Don't forget to get to our Facebook page. Make sure and like it and hit the notifications and give us your ideas for a list. Or you can give us your top five artists between 1974 and 1979. Yeah, you better come up with it. Our number one picks coming up right after this. We're going to gorilla you. Kiss my grits, gorilla. Oh, yeah. You're buckled up for a non-stop classic alternative thrill ride. Only three lads. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. I'm Uncle Greg. We have PhD Brett Vargo, and we have Ambassador Bueno with his gorilla. This yeah. one. Where did he come We're from? Really conducting ourselves like PhDs and ambassadors <laughs> around here. <laughs> Not at all. I got a damn gorilla on my neck. So you got to have fun like- with what you do. We're like silly little third graders. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Listening to the Bay City Rollers now. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, I'm up to my number one this week. Again, the top five artists between 1974 and 1979. We all know what Brett's number one is, right? I think you probably all know what my number one is. I don't is. even know what it is. Oh, you're still making yeah. it up right now? You haven't decided yet. You haven't decided, huh? I know what uh, Uncle Greg's is, though. Yes, yeah. we all know who mine is. David Robert Jones. Of course, David Bowie. Now, when Bueno picked him at number three, he went down the list of everything he did between 1974 and 1979. But let's not forget, he created all that music, but he also produced Lou Reed and Iggy Pop, who was also on my list, and a bunch of others. I mean, come on, between this time right now, this is a true artist. I don't want any artist that I listen to in rock music talk about tofu and how they meditate and how they're well-adjusted and they have a balance of life. This guy at this time had addiction, divorce, wild orgies. He poured around Hollywood. I mean, he's connected to Elizabeth Taylor, Marianne Faithful, Bianca Jagger, Susan Sarandon, and Ola Hudson. That's Slash's mom. Well, that was, well, he said in some uh, early interviews that he was bisexual. Then at the end of his life, he said, nah, that wasn't true. So I don't care who, whatever he did, all as I know is this, he was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Savior, Savior, sure. Yeah, I'm graphically yours. 
pop music, goth, rock, punk, electronica, all genres have been influenced by David Bowie. Heaven loves you. The clouds part for you. Nothing stands in the way when you're a boy. That's why he's my number one artist between 1974 and 1979 this week. And sorry, oh, he was no. he was my number four, not number three. Sorry, Bowie. Sorry. But, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Uncle Greg. Gosh, you didn't even get on the podium. How dare you? I know. I know. Well, you know, What's your so number one? You guys are going to be blown away by this one. Not really. We might. No. It's going to be a crossover with Uncle Greg. What? What? Outrageous. Yep. Four albums, 13 singles, uh, Blondie. I saw you standing on the corner. You look so big and fine. I really wanted to go out with you. So when you smiled, I laid my heart on the line. Yeah. Co-founded, yes, sir, by Debbie Harry and guitarist Chris Stein. And these guys, of course, Uncle Greg mentioned, they were uh, pioneers of the American punk scene back in the mid-70s, actually, in New York. 76, the first album came out. The first single, Sex Offender, actually, or the Ex-Offender, actually, was a... Originally titled Sex Offender, radio stations wouldn't play it. So they renamed the song, and then after disappointing sales and poor publicity, the band ended their contract with Private Stock and signed with Chrysalis Records, and then they actually re released it and actually reached number 14 and uh, top three hit within the flesh. Their lives changed overnight, and they came out with Plastic Letters, and that had three singles. And of course, Parallel Lines came out when they first came out with their first couple albums. I went crazy, but then when this album came out, just took me to a whole new level with them and I mean this thing sold over 20 million copies six singles off of a record is a lot I mean you only hear that usually with the Beatles but uh, picture this I'm gonna love you hanging on the telephone heart of glass Sunday girl one way or another spin magazine Sasha Jones the Carol Alliance may have been the perfect pop rock record and Blondie's best To the Beat in 79, their fourth album, peaked at number 17, also reached number one, certified platinum. This album includes such a diverse range of styles, pop, punk, reggae, funk, and, and as well as lullaby. I mean, three singles, Dreaming, Uncle, Uncle City, Uncle City Blues, <laughs> Union City Blues, <laughs> and, uh, uh -huh, and Atomic. Blondie's first video album was produced in conjunction with the record featuring a music video for each of the album's 12 songs, which was the first project ever in rock music. And that is my number one of the top five artists from 1974 and 1999. Crossover with Uncle Greg Blondie. Great pick. Great Love pick. it. Intelligent. Gosh, that was a... Oh, my. So if I hadn't been so stubborn, that could have been a triple crossover too. Mm -hmm. I nope. mean, it could have been a triple crossover because there's no guarantee that we're going to have a triple crossover this episode, of course. No. So we have not had a triple crossover ever yet. We have not had a triple crossover ever yet. <laughs> and we're not going to have one on this episode. Well, let's see. Speaking of Blondie, <laughs> how could my number one be anyone else but one of the most important, iconic, revolutionary figures in popular music history, 
the thin white duke, the dame, the legend, David Bowie. For episode 20, this is a momentous occasion. Monumental, even. It's crazy. I'm not going to purport to be able to add anything new that hasn't been said by my esteemed colleagues. But I'll tell you what I find so incredibly special about Bowie's career during the years of 1974 to 1979. First of all, and Greg alluded to it, what he could accomplish while being completely stoned out of his gourd is superhuman in and of itself. But the records that he put out during that time reflect his creative restlessness and chameleon-like dexterity better than any other. Each album feels like a logical progression from the last. It of course starts with 1974's Diamond Dogs, his somewhat heavy-handed concept album that sounds like the final kiss-off to the glam rock era. And on the resulting tour, he discovers his there is suave soul man, which begat the smooth polish of 1975's Young Americans. Then he takes bits of the Young American sound and takes it out of the stratosphere, blending it with a strong electronic krautrock influence for the expansive pieces that make up Station to Station. And then, of course, as you guys both said, there's a remarkable trio of albums known as the Berlin Trilogy, wherein Bowie once again rips up the playbook and starts all over. So here we meet some of the names who have popped up frequently this week, Fripp and Eno. Although these albums, 1977's Low and Heroes and 1979's Lodger are clearly an amalgam of Bowie's European influences, it sounds like a whole new breed of music is being created on these albums. On the pair of 1977 albums, they're split between alien experimental vocal songs, heavy on synthesizers and art rock guitars, and minimalistic ambient sonic landscapes. Also be argued that these albums gave birth to the 80s drum sound, for better or for worse. And then for Lodger, which incidentally was not recorded in Germany, but rather in Switzerland and New York, it plays like a musical and lyrical travelogue, incorporating world music influences into the skewed pop structures of its predecessors. Personally, it's actually one of my favorite Bowie albums, and one that often gets overlooked, but it fits very well with the new wave. You know who I am, he said. The speaker was an angel. He coughed and shook his crumpled wings, closed his eyes. So let's see. During this time, you guys also mentioned Bowie co-wrote, produced, and performed on a couple of albums from his friend and Berlin flatmate Iggy Pop. He narrated an album of a recording of Peter and the Wolf, released two live albums following successful tours, and sang a timeless Christmas duet with Bing Crosby. Wow. He was also in a movie. Yep. He was in a movie, yep. A Man Who Fell to Earth. The guy didn't live anywhere but studio. I don't know if he had a home life. In the words of Larry David, I would say that's pretty, pretty, pretty good. The man has provided three decades of inspiration and listening pleasure for me, and he is my number one top artist of 1974 to 1979, Bowen. Another intelligent pick. And he will forever. Forever. Oh, definitely. Forever. His music will yes. live forever. Yes, he will not be invited to kiss my grips. Yeah, thousands <laughs> of years from now, they'll still be listening to Bowie and the Beatles and you know, some of Chances these Chances are we will not know. We won't know. Of course we won't, but yeah. I don't know. If we make it to 2050, they're talking about downloading our memories into a computer, and then we may know. You never know. 
Oh no. Find out. I don't know if they're going to have a big enough memory data for uh, for Brett's brain on this music. So. Oh, the NSA, they have remarkable Oh, remarkable. By that time, yes. Yeah. By that time, it'll be a mere chip. Yeah. Exactly. It's the yeah. whole world in a chip. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number five this week on our top five artists between 1974 and 1979. My number five, Lou Reed. My number four, Blondie. Number three, Iggy Pop. Number two, the Ramones. And number one, the first triple crossover on the Only Three Lads podcast. David Bowie. My number five, Super Tramp. My number four, David Bowie, Triple Crossover. My number three, Roxy Music. My number two, Cheap Trick. And my number one, Blondie, Double Crossover with Uncle Greg. You've been double crossed. Double crossed. Mm. All right, my top five. Number five, Daryl Hall. Number four, Nick Lowe. Number three, Brian Eno. Number two, Bay City Rollers. And number one, Bowie. 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 Yes, Bowie and Brian Eno, big on this week's list. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, Brett, hit that randomizer so that we can know what we're talking about next week. All right, here we go. Oh, we're going for a big whammy here, huh? Oh, this is a huge whammy. Big. Or a lovely trip to Barbados. We are hopping back into the 90s with the top five albums of 1995. 1995, huh? Cool. The return of Britpop, Brett. Oh, oh no. <laughs> well, it was the Brit- end of Britpop right around 95. That was probably the apex. Around 96, 97, it started going a little stale. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you guys want to say? Okay. Oh, this has been a fun ride. I, I feel like our uh, list this week kind of told a, an interlocking story of sorts. So it's, You think? Kind of neat. Kind of neat. I think it's yeah. the foundation of a lot of alternative music that especially came in the 80s and 90s, really yeah. was built between 74 and 79. Yes. So, so on yeah. that note, kiss my grits. Yeah, it paved the road back then. So yeah, it was pretty good. I just really appreciate you guys. Episode 20. And then I got this gorilla on my back that I got to get off. So uh, all I could say is be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 